John again. We'll be in, in 1 John. I don't, I don't know if all of you can relate with this. Uh, maybe maybe some, some of the men a little more than the ladies. I don't, I don't know. I guess it would depend on your temperament. But uh, when I, for, for much of my life, especially uh, all my teenage years and even early into young adult, um, my week was up and down based on sports. Like, I was such a huge sports fan that my Mondays were really determined by how well the Cowboys did on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, and they, they were a lot of bad Mondays, you're right. <laughs> uh, living in Chicago as a Sox fan, uh, everyone in Chicago seems to be Cubs fans, except for a few, you know, select few that are smart. Uh, there's, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but most of Chicago is, is Cubs, and so if the Sox had a good year, it was an okay summer. Uh, if the Sox did not have a good year, uh, you're getting razzed all the time by, all, by the Cubs fans, and, and that would be sometimes frustrating. But it wasn't just the sports teams that I cheered for, it was also the sports teams that I played for. And I don't know, again, if, if you can relate to this, but uh, when I was in high school, I, I played soccer, and, and I wrestled, and then uh, played baseball, and you know, if, if we had a good game, then I was, I, had, I was in a good spirit, especially on the bus ride home. But if we had a bad game, like, there was a lot of times where I really let the, the loss uh, affect my spirit and my attitude, and, and it wasn't really until the next practice uh, when you could start to, you know, get some, I don't use the word aggression necessarily, but get, get some of that angst that was built up inside of you out and start working it. And, um, you know, when I graduated high school, you would think that you start to grow out of that a little bit, right? Uh, but no, I, I joined the men's softball league. And so uh, every Saturday, it was, it was, if we had a good game, that was great. If we had a bad game, it was like, oh man, that stinks. And, and uh, especially if we played a, a softball game and I would, you know, like pop out or do something. I mean, it's a 12-inch softball. And they're throwing it underhand at you. How do you not hit the ball, you know, right where you want it to go every single time? But uh, very often, uh, you know, you think you're going to hit the ball out here. And if you start looking where the ball is going to go, you totally miss the ball. And, and I, I'll be honest, I've struck out in slow pitch softball before. That is so embarrassing. <laughs> it's, you're an adult man. You should be able to hit a baseball when they throw it at you at like three miles an hour. But, uh, but Saturdays were like huge. I mean, I, I look forward to, uh, to going to the batting cages and, and just you know, spending a couple of dollars being able to hit the ball over and over and over again. I get to practice, uh, get to the game for practice like two hours early. And, and uh, man, again, if it was a great game, awesome. If I had a bad game, I went home and I couldn't wait to play again because I, I wanted to be like, I know I could do this. You'd think you would grow out of that. But last, last Sunday, I got to be honest with you, I got done with, with the message, and I, and I got in the car, and I'm like, ah, I can't wait till next Sunday be, because there was a part of me that realized I left, I left it short. And there was, there was a portion that, uh, that I really didn't get to and I really wanted to get to, and I it was just, it was my own, my own fault. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to, uh, uh, to, to front load the sermon like I'm doing right now, you know, spend a lot of time on stuff that doesn't matter. And then at the end, you got like, to leave stuff out. And, and I felt like last week, ah, we talked about God as love, but I didn't get to like how God's love 
helps me be assured of eternal life, which is the whole point of the book of First John. So if you're with us for the first time, we, this is our third week in the, in the book of, 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 of 1 John, and it's not like the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is written about how you can be saved. But John writes this letter to believers who already are saved, and his purpose in writing this letter is, I want you to be assured that you have eternal life, not I want to explain to you how, but how you can know you have eternal life. And that was shown in 1 John 5, 13. But then we also, over the last couple weeks, we've gone back to John chapter 17, where we see Jesus explaining eternal life is not just living forever. According to Jesus, eternal life is a relationship. He says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, speaking to God the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is a relationship. And then we saw over the last two weeks that John offers three characteristics of God in order to bring this assurance to believers. God is life, God is light, and God is love. And his whole point in this letter, again, is I want you to know you have eternal life. And last week we got into God as love, but I spent too much time talking about God as love and do you love God, do you love the world, that I didn't get a chance to finish God as love and how that changes everything for us as believers. So I want you, if you would, join me in John, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter number 4. We're going to look at verse number 7. We read some of these verses last week, but I just want to read them again and, and go over them to get us started on the subject, again, that God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7. Scripture says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Now, before we read the next statement, let's again be reminded, why is John writing this letter so that believers can be assured they possess, they have eternal life? Well, notice what he says. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, that's important because remember, eternal life is knowing God and Christ whom he has Sent. And so John is saying, if you love, you've been born of God. And, and I know sometimes we could sit back and go like, do I love? And that, that's, I don't think that's the point necessarily he's trying to leave, although we can use that. But John is saying, if you love people the way Christ has loved you, guess what? Ha! Huh, that's an assurance. You are a child of God. Because the people he's writing to, and we'll get to this today, we're facing a lot of false teaching. And John is saying, look, if you want to know you really are a believer, do you love people the way Jesus loved you? And he goes on in verse number 8 and says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Again, that's just an introspective. That is not for us to judge someone else. That, that's not written so that you and I say, well, he doesn't love and she doesn't love. and They, don't, they must not be true children of God. That is for me to look at my heart. Do I love God? And if so, that's assurance, right? Look at verse number nine. This is how God showed his love among us. 
He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do you want more assurance that you are a child of God? Hey, your relationship with God is not based on how much you love him. It is purely about how much he loves you. That's, that's assurance. See, that brings assurance because don't we sometimes live lives that really don't reflect whether or not we love God? Sometimes we struggle to live a life that would reflect, oh yeah, he loves God. But, but look, my relationship with God is not on how much I love him. It's on the fact that he loved us. Verse number 11 says this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But here, come, we're coming back to assurance again, ready? But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Again, that's, that's this moment of assurance. How do you know you're a child of God? Do you love people the way Christ has loved you? If you can sit there and say, yeah, I do. That should bring assurance to your heart that you are one of his children. Verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 16, if you would. It's still in chapter 4. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Huh. More assurance. Do you love? And God lives in you. Verse 17, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. We are like Jesus. Now, now let me try to explain that briefly before we go on. The, the idea that love is in you is the idea that I'm a child of God, which then gives me assurance that the day I stand before God in judgment because I have been trying to live like Jesus, failing, yes, but trying to live like Jesus, that trying to live like Jesus gives an assurance that I am a child of God. And since I'm a child of God, when I stand before him in judgment one day, I can be confident of what? Well, he goes on and says this. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What John was trying to bring to believers is, I want you to know you're a child of God because one day you're going to stand in front of that God and you don't need to fear him. He's your father. You look forward to that day where you stand before him. It's not downplaying that we're supposed to fear God. Fear is a reverence and a respect, absolutely. But we don't have to be scared of the day we stand before God because we know we're children of God. Let me go on in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. 
So John, once again, closing with the assurance, if you, if you love God, you must love your brother and sister. That's the challenge, because sometimes we could say as Christians, well, I love God, but man, I don't like him or her. Oh, I was just reading this morning. Now my, it's Luke, I want to say it's Luke 6. But in Luke chapter, I think it's Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, don't, don't just love people who love you. What reward is there in that? Even the sinners, even Gentiles love people who love them. And say so what, what Jesus is trying to get at is, I, my, love is, is my love is towards those who don't love me in return. My love is towards those who can't give me something back. And so as we look at our love, as we look at our love, the question is not, do I just love people? question is do i love people like jesus loved me how did jesus love me i was his enemy i was rebellious i had nothing to offer jesus and he loved me and so as we look as we look at love the idea here is god is love god loves those who are unlovable the question is if you or the, the statement then is if you love people the way god has loved you then guess what the love of god is in you because we don't naturally love our enemies the only way we can love our enemies is if we have a supernatural love who is god in us to then love people around us but but see, here's the thing. John wasn't writing to tell you and me to tell these believers, if you love people, you will receive eternal life. We have to understand that's not the point of, that's not the point of this letter. Because some people might read this and go, oh, okay, so, all right, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm kind. I do lots of good for people. I guess I have eternal life. No, that's not what John, that's not, that's not what John's purpose is. He's, he's writing to believers who are questioning whether they have eternal life. And he's not saying this is how to receive eternal life, which we'll spend at our next time together. But John is saying, this is how you can know you have received eternal life. Do you love people, the world, like Jesus has loved the world? Because, you know, generosity should be a character of, of Christians. And, and I know sometimes there's a, there's this, there's this bad rap that, um, I know when I was in when I was in Bible college, I remember people joking about the fact that sometimes they would go to a restaurant and um, and they would would instead of leaving a tip, they'd leave a gospel track. Be like, hey, nothing more valuable than the streets of gold, right? That's that's not the way Christians should live. We we should have a, a generous heart. But does just having a generous heart mean that you're a Christian. Okay, so quick question. If you see somebody walking into a hotel, you see a man walking into a hotel, he gives $20 to the valet after the valet takes his car and he walks in and uh, the bellhop takes his, his uh, or I don't know if you still call them bellhops, but it's a guy takes his luggage and he hands him $20 as he takes his luggage and the lady at the front desk is really kind, so he gives $20. And you're like, man, this guy is one generous dude. He must be a believer. I mean, First John says, right? First John says, if you love people, man, you, you must have eternal life. But, but, but what if that man walked into a hotel 
paid the valet, tipped the bellhop, tipped the front desk, but he's going into having an affair with, with another woman. It's not just about a generous life, which is where John brings in the beauty that God is love and God's love offers us an opportunity to be assured that we have eternal life based on the way we live. But John also brings in this beauty of God is light. So turn with me, if you would, back to 1 John chapter number 1. And we're going to see how God is love works together with God is light to bring assurance that as we live a loving life, oh, we have eternal life. 1 John chapter Number one, verse number five, if you would. First John chapter one, verse number five. Here's what the Bible says. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, first John chapter one, verse five follows first John chapter one through verses one through four. We've read those the last two weeks, so that's why I didn't read it today. But in the first four verses, the apostle John is staking the claim that Jesus was the word who was with God in the beginning and he came in the flesh and we heard him and we talked to him and we touched him. He really was God in the flesh. And now we're going to tell you the message he gave to us, right? Here's the message. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. So why would John bring in this idea that God is is light. Well, there's two qualities of light. and The first is like perfect moral, perfect holiness. God is completely perfect. But secondly, as light, there's no room for darkness. I, I, think, you, I think you can understand this, but you can't make something dark. You can only remove the light. When you, I don't know if any of you have ever had a swing shift job where you are trying to sleep in the middle of the day. One of my nephews is a, is a police officer in Crown Point, Indiana. And uh, the last time we visited, uh, we were down in the basement where he does some work. But he's got black light, black out curtains over all of the windows because that's where he goes and sleeps when he's, uh, when he's on the swing shift. You want to make something dark, you can't just say, well, let me turn this on and make it dark. See, whenever there is a presence of light, darkness has to go. You cannot, darkness and light cannot coexist. And so whenever there is light, there's no darkness. So God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so that's what, what John is speaking. And so how does John use this to help assurance, to bring assurance of eternal life? Well, look at verse number six. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness we lie and do not live out the truth now, now i have to explain something to you briefly here john will use the words we and he's going to offer a contrast in verses six and seven in verses eight and nine and then in verse 10 and chapter two verse one He's going to offer a contrast, but he's going to use the word we. And what John is doing is John is taking the we from the first five verses, which means the apostles, the ones who walked with Jesus, 
This is the message that Jesus has brought, but he's going to contrast the message of Jesus with the message of what John will call in chapter 2, antichrists. I know when we think antichrist, we immediately think of someone at the end time who is going to fight evil and fight alongside Satan. But John will say in chapter 2 the antichrists plural have come like they're here and what he means by that is is not that the end times have come but that those who do not believe that jesus is truly the son of god come in the flesh and is the way to be made holy well they're anti the message of christ which makes them anti-Christ. And so what John is going to do is he's going to say, let me tell you, this is the message we've heard, but if we, teachers, leaders, if we say this, that's not true. So he says in verse 6, if I could read it again, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. And so what John is saying is, if you hear a teacher, a leader, a believer say you can have fellowship, relationship with God and yet live walk be a have a life that lives in the darkness that is a lie see if god is light and we're with god we don't walk in the darkness we walk in the light so john is saying well let me tell you the truth verse number seven but if we walk in the light as he is in the light We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from from all sin. So we know that light drives out the darkness, but light does something else. Light reveals. If I walk in the light with God, guess what's revealed? His perfection, that he is holy and perfect, but, but also but I'm not. My sin. You would think that as God's light reveals my sin, that that would cause fellowship to break. But that's not what John says. John says as you walk in the light and as the light of God reveals his holiness and your sinfulness, guess what? God is love too. And he has sent his son Jesus to take the sins of the world upon himself and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. Ooh, that's good news. But John's going to go a little bit further. Look at verse number eight. He says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Again, he's, he's offering the teaching of a false teacher saying that you can live without sin. Part of the Gnostic teaching, which would have been uh, going on during the time John wrote this letter, is that once you became a Christian or a follower you, of Christ, you would no longer sin. Well, wouldn't that make sense? I mean, if God's truly in me, why would I sin anymore? And so people were believing that. And John is saying, hey, if you claim that you can live without sin, that's a lie. That, that's a false teaching. 
And here's the truth, verse 9, one of the most famous verses in, in the scriptures that we've ever heard. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so we have, this, we have this contrast of someone who says, I don't have sin, versus someone who confesses that they do have sin sin how in the world do you think someone could ever say i don't have sin well john says he explains it in verse number eight if you claim to be without sin you're deceiving yourself meaning i've told myself that what i'm doing is not wrong That sounds a lot like what our culture is doing right now. There are many people living in, in our world today who are living, and, and I'm, I'm not talking unbelievers because unbelievers don't know the word of God, and John wasn't writing to unbelievers, he's writing to believers, but there's many people who live in our world today who they know what the word of God says clearly. But they say, I know what the Bible says, but I know, I know that I'm right, because how can it be wrong if it feels so right? And there's this deception of saying, I'm fine, even though the Word of God says it's not. But it's not just that we could convince our, ourselves to, to, to sin, but also we, we, we can grow a hardened heart to sin. When I was in Jamaica the first time uh, on a missions trip, we would get together and with the, with the locals, we'd play soccer. And some of you all got to go to Jamaica as well. And you remember that and get to play soccer with the locals. You, what's, you know what's amazing about most of the people, especially the younger children in Jamaica, is they don't wear shoes. But, but they don't have paved roads, a lot of the areas that we would go visit. So they're walking on hard dirt, gravel, whatever. There was a time I remember that that one of the kids um, had had started walking and as they were walking in the path in front of me They kept leaving a blood spot And I was like, hey, and I don't remember if it was a boy or I don't remember I just remember saying hey, hey your foot is bleeding And whoever it was went just like this. Oh, yep didn't even hurt and kept going Here's me if I were to take I have a hard time walking from the from our front door to the to the car because it's because we have a gravel driveway like ouch 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 because because I don't I rarely walk I rarely don't have some kind of cushion under my foot and so because of that my, my feet are very tender when when it comes to I know it sounds makes me it makes me sound like such a pathetic person of uh, that my feet are tender when I step on gravel right but uh, but here's what happens with our hearts sometimes. We get so calloused and so used to sin that sin doesn't bother us anymore. And when sin stops bothering us, we don't call it sin any longer. And so there's this deception. The thing is, you know what's crazy? Do you know what Satan is called? The deceiver. One commentator wrote, that means when we are in sin and claiming not to be in sin we are playing our own satan we are deceiving ourselves 
I, I found this Ephesians chapter 4. I, I thought this, this verse was so unique. John, or I'm sorry, Paul is talking about Gentiles here. And he describes Gentiles, meaning, meaning sinners. He says this, they are darkened. Notice, the, notice this terminology. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Wow. So they've darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God, meaning they don't have eternal life. Their hearts are hardened. That heart being hardened means they've lost sensitivity. And when they've lost the sensitivity, they just dive into sin. And yet John gives us this contrast in verse number 9. There's some who deceive themselves, thinking that they're living without sin. That's a lie. But if we confess, we confess our sins. He's faithful, and he's just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Again, remember, John is trying to give assurance. How does John give assurance right here? God is light. Which means if you're walking with God, you will see your sin. And because we know God is love, we do not hesitate to confess our sins to the one who loved us enough to shine the light of sin in us. See, as I was studying through this, I like, you kind of start to get, so often when, 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 when conviction comes to your heart, the first thing you want to do is run. But the more I study this and realizing when God brings conviction to our lives about sin, he is loving us. By shining this light that says, look at who you are. Look at where you are. I love you so much. I want to show you this because we cannot walk together if you're going to walk in darkness because I am light. Every time you're with God, that light is shining in you. But the interesting thing about confession, I was talking to my, my wife yesterday, and I'm like, can you, can you think of a time when the kids maybe we we force them to apologize for something but you know it was totally insincere she's like well we kind of once we discipline them we would we would sometimes leave them in the bathroom until they were ready to tell their brother or sister i'm sorry but how many times did uh, did you get back into that bathroom and say like hey hey it's time you go go say you're sorry you ready to say you're sorry yes i am going sorry and just, just like there was no sincerity whatsoever, but they, they said the word, right? Right? Yeah. Confession doesn't mean, hey, God, this is what I did. Sorry. For, for one, we don't really have to tell God what we did, right? He already knows. But confession is different than admission. We can tell God our sin or. In confession, here's, what, here's the difference. We see our sin as God sees our sin. That's what confession is. 
Confession is not, I did these things that are wrong. I'm really sorry. Confession is, Lord, I lied. And, and you're truth. And you, you despise lying. That's not how your children should act. And, and my sin of lying was enough to put your son on the cross. He died because I was a liar. Oh, God, forgive me for, for not being willing to trust you enough to just tell the truth to somebody. And I'll be honest with you, as I was preparing this, I'm like, I don't do that, like, ever. I definitely ask God to forgive me of my sins, but I can't tell you, man, that I just sit there and be like, yes, and I'm going to think exactly about this sin the way that God thinks of this sin. But John is writing this letter to say, hey, listen, if God is going to shine his light on you and you already know God is love, then you should just be able to say, I've, who I am. This is what I've done. Father, please forgive me. And I know you will because of who Jesus is. And if you are willing to confess your sin, guess what? That's a really good sign that you are a child of God because he's showing you as light your sin and he's showing you his love in forgiving you, which is why we bring them to him. I mean, like our confession of sin should come knowing that God has already forgiven us and cleansed us and with a desire to have fellowship with him. Huh. I love it. As we confess, we're forgiven. God is light. He showed us our sin. God is love. He forgives our sin. And it's all because of Jesus. But I, I want to quickly, and just, just in closing, address this, this question. What if I don't confess my sin? Because there, there's this teach, there's this, there is a teaching that is relevant, that is around us, that would say this. And you have to keep that running list, that running list going. Because if you die having not confessed a sin, like this says, if you, if you die having not confessed a sin, well, th there you go. You're going to have to either spend some time in a place called purgatory or you're, or you're not going to go to heaven because you have an unconfessed sin and you have to confess it. See, Jesus, Jesus deals with this when he washes the disciples' feet. He, he walks around, he goes around to all of the disciples. See, when he gets to Peter, do you remember what Peter did? He's like, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, listen, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have any part in me. And so Peter, in the, the way that Peter reacts, he like stands up. He's like, well, then wash my head and wash my elbows and wash my fingers and wash my head. Wash me from top to bottom then. And Jesus is like, no, you don't, you don't understand, Peter. And this, this is what he tells Peter. Those who have had a bath, only need to wash their feet their whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you now that that last statement though not every one of you is talking about judas because judas is there but what jesus is saying is peter i i have cleansed you you are no longer a sinner but you live in a sinful world and so you are going to continue to sin 
in the world around you. But every time you sin, you don't need to come back to be justified again. You don't need to be saved all over again. Once you have been saved, once you are a child of God, you are a child of God. And yet, children of God, we walk in a very sinful, dirty world. And sometimes we bring that to ourselves. And what confession does is confession comes reminding us, I've been washed by the blood of Jesus from top to bottom, but this sinful world, I have picked up some dirt. So Lord, I am confessing to you and asking you to once again, wash my feet as I still sin. And that's, that's a sign that says I, I am a child of God because the more we grow in Christ, the more sin becomes detestable to us, the more sin becomes detestable to us, the more we hate it, the more we hate it, the more we see it, which is how the Apostle Paul can say in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I am the chiefest of sinners. Time out, man. You have just written more of the New Testament than anyone else, and you're the chiefest of sinners. How could Paul say that? Because Paul was so aware sin because Jesus was shining that light into him. I was at Judy Guzzi's, Judy and Dave Guzzi's house the other day and I walked in, knocked on the door, walked in and, and went to sit down and Judy's like, please forgive me for the mess. There's two envelopes out on our kitchen table. <laughs> really not a mess, uh, Judy. It's quite all right. But you know, sometimes when, when, when something's out of order and we really want it to be in order, it affects us. It bothers us. We see it. Man, if we, are, if we are living lives that continue to be reminded that God loves me, he is light, he is showing me my sin not to make me feel miserable about my sin. He's showing me my sin to remind, him I'm a, to remind me I'm a child of God and he loves me so much I could bring that sin to him and confess it and it is washed away by the blood of Jesus. Man, God is love, God is light. I can be assured of my place in his family. But please don't take this message and walk away and say, well, now I have to be really nice to people and love them, and I have to confess my sins, and that means I can have eternal life. No, 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 no. This, this letter is not about how to receive eternal life. It is how to show you you have received eternal life. If you are quick to confess your sins, if you love the world like Jesus loved you, oh, and you can sit back and go, I'm a child of God. And being a child of God should give us great confidence when we walk out these doors. This past week, I, I went up to Mount, uh, Mount, uh, Mount Zion where I love to pray. And uh, I think it was Tuesday. And I, I prayed for the church. And I put the car in, and I, I got back in the truck and I put the car in and put my truck in drive and I was about to drive away. And the Lord paused my heart and said, pray for your kids. So we, we have this little app called Marco Polo. Some of you may know it's just where you can leave a video message. And so I, I messaged Troy and I prayed for him. I prayed over him, asking the Lord to give him wisdom as he enters this, as he starts to go into this new portion of his life, as he and Laney are preparing to get married. And man, exciting. Lord, I, Troy, I just want to tell you, I love you and, and I am praying for you. And I left that message for him. 
I sent one to Trevor, who's at, who's at uh, Bob Jones in college right now. And I told him I was, I was praying for him. And, and I know Trevor's at this, he's at a spot right now where he left with enough money to finish first semester. <laughs> and he's going he's gonna to run into a financial crunch. And so I said, Lord, would you, would you just show him how much you love him? And would you, would you send a miraculous financial gift? And would you do it today? Then I, I prayed for Trinity, prayed that God would protect her heart and, and guard her heart and, and walk with her. And I, I got a message back from Trevor near the end of the day. And he's like, hey, Dad, thanks for the prayer. But he didn't say anything about a financial gift. And so, like, I, this, is, this is where my heart goes. I'm like, well, maybe I should send him something because I prayed this prayer and then I can be the, right? That's, that's where my carnal heart goes but i didn't so the next day was wednesday i came here we were doing family discipleship down in the cafeteria i didn't get to go home that, that yet, uh, on wednesday and i'm walking out the door and i i look at my phone had a few text messages and one of them's from a from a high school friend a kid i went to high school with i haven't spoken to him in probably a year and a half he's like hey call me that's all it said call me okay we get home, and I have to go outside. If you ever try to call me at my house, we get terrible reception. So uh, I have to go outside up on the little hill and stand outside and talk. So I'm talking to him, and, and he's like, hey, man, um, how you doing? So good, it's catching up, but I have no idea why he wanted me to call. And about a little bit into it, he's like, hey, um, I've been meaning to do this since August. I want to send your son in college uh, just a financial gift. I don't know what he said for the next couple seconds because my heart was like, oh, that's you. Whew. He got done telling me that. I'm like, all right, before you say another word, I just got to tell you this, man. I literally prayed over my son yesterday that God would send a miraculous financial gift to him. And he's like, oh, I got chills. I'm like, you got chills. Like, I'm crying, man. Like, this is amazing. We hang up the phone. I go in and I, I tell my wife. She didn't know that I had made that call or that, that prayer. But I'm sitting here working on this message now for Sunday. And it's like, if you're a child of the king, what do you have to be worried about? Don't you think that that's what John was thinking as he was writing to these Christians? Like, if you're a believer, if God loved you so much, you would send his son for you, because that is love. Not that you love God, but that God loved you. And if he is light and in him is no darkness, if he's willing to show you your sin, but he's already taken care of offering the forgiveness for your sin, if you know that you are a child of God, why do we worry the way we do? I think in some ways I get done reading this and I'm like I just need to walk out in confidence and do anything and everything God wants me to do because if he asks me to do it he's going to take care of it that's my God he's already got it under control and yet remember how I felt on Tuesday I'm the one that has to send the gift and the father's like no I've got this remember you're my I'm your father. 
because I love you and I am light.